Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. I've done, this is episode 45, so I've done quite a few episodes with guests. And some of the guests come to my home, and we record them there. And that's always fun. Nice to meet people, get to sit down, uh, share some personal time. Uh, So that makes it a little more fun, in general. But a lot of my guests live a long ways away, and that's not practical. So we do an online recording, and uh, that can be fun too. But sometimes it's just hard to relate a little bit, and it, it can be a little bit of a struggle. But I don't think I've had any more fun with a remote episode recording than I had today doing this recording with Annie Meyer. I met Annie when she was a little girl. We talk about that on the podcast, and uh, I've kind of watched her over the years a little bit remotely grow up as a birder, although we've not birded much together. And uh, I had so much fun today talking with her. She is just a very articulate, smart young woman who has done remarkable things in her short years, and I think that energy and enthusiasm will come through in today's episode. I hope you really enjoy the Bird Banner Podcast, episode number 45 with Annie Meyer. Annie, thanks for coming on the Bird Banner Podcast. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I am excited to talk with you. My I, my first memory of, of meeting you was when your dad, who was is a photographer, worked for my late wife, Kay, and he kind of asked Kay almost in a weird sort of embarrassed sort of way, he says, my daughter's a bird watcher and I don't know anything about it. And she's having me take her all over the place and I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, could, could, you and, could you and Ed take Annie and me out for a, a little bit of bird watching? And Kay, of course, said, of course we can. And so we tossed you, tossed you and I, I think we had a van at the time. We drove around Pierce County a little bit and saw some birds and you were maybe nine or ten you were just a little girl yeah and uh, it was so it was it was so cool because the the thing I remember is that I don't think you had ever met another bird watcher in your life I hadn't that was my first (laughs) yeah interaction with birders before it, it it was really funny, and and you think you know all the birds I mean that was just not a problem the thing that was surprising was that we you were just shocked that we would go to a place and know it would be there yeah, we'd say, well, we'll probably see a chestnut-backed chickadee and spotted towhee and maybe some juncos here. And you'll say, well, well, how would you know that? <laughs> so that was the, it wasn't identifying birds or you're all over that sort of thing. But the idea that people actually knew where to go to get things. And that was like, and I don't think that was in the, in the field guide that you had memorized. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually remember that trip as I remember that you guys blew my mind when you pointed out a purple finch singing and I didn't know that you could identify birds by mm-hmm. song before before that moment oh, and so that okay. was hugely eye opening was like wow okay wow people get really <laughs> yeah, good at this that... <laughs> so, yeah purple so. finch that's a tough one <laughs> oh i remember you guys also pointing out an orange crowned warbler and i being young and not knowing the bird guide completely was confused as to why it didn't have an orange crown and yeah. <laughs> lots really of fun. learning that it trip. was really that fun was and i remember trip. thinking was really, this girl was. is gonna be a birder she is really good Kay and I was just kind of boggled <laughs> i mean we had Aww. we had we had no idea no idea what to expect and we thought oh my goodness this is this is because our kids my my children who are a little older than you but i mean to get them it was like pulling their fingernails off to get them to go oh. birding with us. I mean, they would just whine and complain and say, oh, you know, I, I remember that my favorite story of that is uh, there was a pod of uh, orca whales uh, off Bremerton. Wow. And there were like 30 whales. It was just the most spectacular thing you'd ever seen. And my kids are like fourth and fifth grade. And uh, we, Kay and I went out on our boat one day and we said, we're taking the kids out of school tomorrow and doing this. This is a once in a lifetime nice. opportunity. They're going to love it. We go back, we'd go back and say, guys, we're going to skip school tomorrow. We're going to go see a pot of orca whales in Bremerton. And they both say, oh no, it won't be whales. You'll just sneak us bird watch. <laughs> they just refuse to go. <laughs> Oh, no. So they would not. They would not. They would not skip school to go see oh, the whales man. because they thought it was just amused to get them to go birding. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> that was, yeah, it was. It was. That was the difference between uh, someone who maybe has an interest and someone who <laughs> doesn't. But anyway, that was my. That was my. It was so fun to be out with a, a young child who was just into it. Oh I mean, well, just, I was and just like a sponge. Just, I was certainly delighted to be yeah. out and 
meeting people who could tell me what birds were and <laughs> help me out. That was yeah. eye opening. The the other thing I the other thing I remember about that is Kay always the Yenta was uh, trying to say, and you should meet Charlie Wright. He's, <laughs> he's a really nice young bird, and he's a good looking young man. Too. <laughs> I'm like Kay, just back off, will you? She's like ten years old. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so that was that was the other thing I remember about that day. But anyway, uh, I have yet to have Charlie on the show. He's always gone somewhere. He's just a uh, Never home. Elusive. But anyway, I'm really excited to have you on this show. I've talked enough. Tell me your birding story, Annie. I, I know the very beginning. And then I think the next time I saw you, if I if I'm, could be wrong here, did I see you in a, the backseat of a car at the Gunnison Sage Gross site in the middle of the winter or March or something? Was that, were you in that, that car with Charlie? That could have been me, but not with Charlie. One, one or two... I don't know. Who, uh, I, it might have been Ryan. I have I don't been remember. to Gunnison Sage Grouse in the dead of winter, but um, not. Yeah, that yeah. was. I, I it might. I not don't have know been. if I met. I don't remember. I, knew I, 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 I remember look. At, I remember looking in the back seat. Ken Brown and I and Kay were up there, and we looked and I said, "I wonder if that's Annie with because it was a, <laughs> a Tacoma group." I, I know that. Oh, cool. What if that was her? Just. Hard to say. I don't know. Anyway, maybe it wasn't you. <laughs> but anyway, tell me your birding. Tell tell me your birding story. How did you get started? And and uh, and tell me from there. So um, I've always loved animals, and I remember my parents took me on a camping trip once when I was like two years old, I think. And they tell the story that I ran to the edge of the the campsite when I first got out of the car and spread my arms out and said, "Wide ammos, like wild animals." And so it kind of continued from there. Um, and I got interested in birds um, when I was nine years old. And I got a bird book. I don't think it was really a field guide. It was the Encyclopedia of North American Birds. And I remember leafing through that and just having, you know, having my mind blown by how many different kinds of birds there were in the book. And then kind of realizing, like looking out my, my window and thinking, oh, man, maybe I could go find these. And so it really, my parents took me outside a lot. Um, and then that book really got me started looking for birds, I would say. Um, my mom knew of um, cedar waxwings when I was growing up, and she would point them out to me in the yard. And so that's that's definitely a special bird for me because it's one of my earliest that's memories. That's funny. K that was Kay's trigger cool bird, bird also. That, excited that was Kay's trigger bird. She started really? when she was oh, maybe awesome. 23 or four and she was working as a lumberjack in Idaho. And uh, she lived with three guys who were wow. hot young California birders. I mean, just you know, all over birding. So every spare <laughs> minute was birding. And her first bird she saw was cedar yeah, waxwing. That's awesome. It's a great first bird. Oh, yeah. No. Um. So... Yeah, so from there, I was homeschooled in middle school, and my dad made a point of taking me out every Friday to go birding. You know, he he was very much a proponent of uh, whatever passion she has, let's follow that and support it. And so he took me out every Friday, and we would go to Nisqually Delta, and I would puzzle over ducks and sparrows, and and uh, yeah. And then my first introduction to to birding with other people who knew what they were doing was um was the trip with you and Kay. I think that was in two thousand six on a birdathon. Oh, and yeah. yeah, and we talked about that, but that was uh that was mind blowing for me and I definitely was really interested after that. And then um the next year's birdathon, I think, was the next time I met up with birders. And I remember going on a trip with Marcus Roning to oh. uh, Eastern Washington. Wow, that is a great trip. And seeing avocets and stilts and, oh, it was so cool. And um, and then the next year, um, I was 14, I think, and I met up with um, Bruce Labar and Charlie Wright on a, a birdathon in um, Pierce County. And Peter Wimberger and Wynn Brown were on that trip as well. And um, that was totally mind blowing because um, everyone was just, you know, all over the birds. Oh, and yeah. I was just so excited to be a part of, of the group. And, um, and that really got me like super stoked on learning calls. And, um, and I got really interested from there. And 
Let's see. Yeah. And then after that, um, Bruce and Charlie really took me under their wing and took me all over and introduced me to Ryan Shaw and Ryan Merrill. And um, we all went all over Washington. And those were amazing trips. And uh, it's just a group of incredibly knowledgeable and really fun people. And I, yeah, you sort of found found the the, uh, young talent in town. That's for sure. Yeah, they were sure talented. I might have been lacking on that part, but I was sure happy to be along yeah, on this trip. I bet trips. you were. Um, and then at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, I got involved with Seattle Audubon's teen birding group, okay. which was a really cool program that they they put on, and they still put on, I believe. Um, and basically, there were like three meetings a, a month, I think, and it was just a bunch of nerds who like to talk about birds and other animals and we would all get together and that was an awesome group and they did trips um and I got to go on a trip to southeastern Arizona and trip to southern Texas and um and they also had a partnership with Puget Sound Bird Observatory at the time and so they got some of us um into bird banding at a really early age I think I started when I was 15. Very nice. That was an awesome opportunity and a whole lot of fun. Yeah. So got your yeah, got your got toes dipped into the science of uh, bird uh, bird study early yeah, on. Yeah, certainly. Very nice. Did you did you do any work yeah. out? Did you do any work out at the Morse uh, Preserve with banding? Uh, I did not. No, I was mostly banding with them um, in Seward Park. Okay. Okay. Cool. In Seattle. So that that brings you up yeah. to your. Hmm, early to mid high school years. Uh, and then, uh, you, what, yep. you, you decided to go to Humboldt. Uh, Humboldt certainly has a great reputation as, as an ornithological, you know, faci- college to study ornithology at. What did you study there and what made you choose yeah. that college? Um, I chose that school because, um, I found it online and I just researched, you know, different programs that could get me out looking at nature and, specifically birds if possible um and Humboldt has a great wildlife program it's like renowned in the country and um so my parents and I took a road trip down there and I was pretty much sold on going to the school when we went to the Arcata Marsh and there were (laughs) white-tailed kites and black BBs and red-shouldered hawks flying around and I was like all right I'm going here I've decided it's a great area (laughs) but then the school itself yeah it's amazing the school itself was also just an amazing, it had an amazing program for um, what I was interested in. And the birding community was awesome. And the birding was crazy. I think I saw 18 warbler species in my first semester. Wow. There. <laughs> and, a little different um, than Washington. Yeah. and the, <laughs> Yeah, a little. <laughs> um, the people, the people there too were just really cool. They were interested in everything. Um, from like herps to moths, butterflies, mammals, all manner of tide pool creatures. It was just really cool to be immersed in in such a, a naturalist community. And I bet it was really um, important. Did you know John Sterling when you were, when you're there? Uh, I met him, but okay. but didn't know him. I think he wasn't living there. At the oh, okay, time, so. just curious. Yeah, I got really into birding by bicycle in Humboldt too. That oh. that was. Uh, a big part of my first year too. I biked, I had a couple of friends, Brendan Higgins and Jared Huey, and we would bike all over the county chasing rarities that first year before we got cars Very <laughs> and nice. became less practical. But it was, it was so fun. It was really a good memory. Way cool. Way cool. So what was your field of study there? I studied wildlife okay. um, and that was a specialization in conservation biology and applied vertebrate ecology. Oh, okay. So we uh, had classes yeah. Did you do any summer research yeah, while you were there or that sort of thing? Yeah, I worked. So starting my first um, summer after my freshman year, I started working in the field. Um, I got a job in Hubbard Brook in New Hampshire doing um, like point count bird, sur- bird surveys. And every summer after that, while I was in college, I I worked um, in Iowa as well and Florida and uh, in western Montana and Wow. Got to um, some great places. And then have continued. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some awesome places to visit. And and when did you graduate, Annie? I've lost track of how old you are. I don't remember. 
<laughs> Me too. Jeez. Um, I graduated in 2015. Okay. So you're four years out of college, something like that, give or take. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And you've been doing a lot of field work yeah. and a lot of just getting around since then. Tell me what's happened since then. What have you done? Yeah. Well, since leaving college, um, my boyfriend Sasha and I have been working together doing the same um, kinds of field jobs. So they're like seasonal bird research technician jobs. And you basically get to travel and live for a few months at a time around the country or around the world sometimes um, carrying out various research projects. And sometimes that means bird banding. Sometimes it's nest searching. Sometimes it's radio telemetry or um, yeah, lots of different, lots of different tasks and they're all really fun. So it's, it's a blast getting to travel and, and get to watch birds and get paid for it. It sounds like it. It sounds like, and to do it with your lover, can you beat that? Oh my goodness. That's uh, it's pretty great. (laughs) It sounds pretty great. And you've gotten around the Americas. I I looked at your, uh, uh, some of the places you've been on your eBird and you have been all over. I also, uh, (laughs) I also just, I, I'm, friends or follow or whatever you do on Facebook with you uh, and saw that you just got back. Was it Argentina or was it Chile? Where were you roast recently? Way down south, weren't you? I was just in Ecuador. Yeah. Equ- yeah Ecuador. Ago, okay. So. Okay. Uh, I thought it was farther south. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Ecuador. Uh, so uh, tell me about some of yeah. these South American adventures. Yeah. Well, I've had the opportunity to work in, um, I spent five months working in Costa Rica and six months working in Colombia and uh, about two months working in Ecuador. So um, getting to work in those places is really cool because you get a little bit more of a, a, like how it feels to live there. And um, you just get like really familiar with the birds. So that's been really fun um, getting to spend extended periods of time down there. Hablas Um, espanol? Un poco, sí. Sí. Yeah, I had to, I had to train a whole group of banders in Spanish how to um, or they weren't banders at the time. I had to train them how to band in Spanish completely. Oh, very cool. Speak English. That was that was a quick. Um, uh, I needed to learn really fast at that point. But yeah, but yeah, I we we did. get around with Spanish. Um, and and then also we've been able to travel to Panama and um, and Peru on top very of that cool. for fun. So. I have special interest in Costa Rica. My daughter Jean lives there. She's been living there for about three years. So, oh really? I, I, uh, oh very I, cool. Yeah, I, d- I didn't get to visit for the first quite a while because Kay was sick at the time, and it just just I couldn't really oh. get away. But uh, but I've been down once since then, and I plan to learn my way around that country. I'm excited. Where did you Where did you stay, and yeah. what did you do in Costa Rica? Um, in Costa Rica, Sasha and I were. Uh, banding so we were working for costa rica bird observatories okay and we were running banding sites um mainly in two areas so one was tortuguero on the caribbean coast up by nicaragua okay um and that's like lowland um you know we had to boat to some of our our field sites early in the morning and Mm -hmm. really cool um and really different from our other field site which was up in the mountains um in the talamanca cordillera which um we our field site, I think, was at eighty five hundred feet. Um, oh wow, so really? Up really there. high mountains and a lot of endemics up there. So it's a lot of birds that only exist in um, in high mountains of of. Was it essentially cloud forest area. type, cloud forest type habitat, or was it different than that? Yeah, yeah, it very was cool. like um, like very uh, moss and bryophyte covered um, oak forest. I Very guess it, cool. it would be considered cloud forest. It's kind of above the cloud forest. It was it was pretty cloudy though. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So you got you have yeah. had just a wonderful experiences. I mean, it sounds just spectacular. <laughs> and you're in Texas now, is that right? Or are I you am going in Texas. To Texas. Yep. Yep. So what's going no, on I'm there? In you Texas. have a, you have a job there? Or? Yeah, yeah. It's a a winter job, which are always fun when you can line those up. Yeah. Um, but we're down here. I'm working for Bird Conservancy of the Rockies right now, and we're studying um, winter grassland birds, oh, and wow. basically where they are because nobody knows what sprigs, pipits, and baird sparrows do in the winter. So we're we're down here trying to figure out where they live and what kind of habitats they use. Very cool. Very cool. And you don't even have to brave yeah. the 
wickedly hot summers down there. It should be great. What a terrific place no, to spend yeah. the winter. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's I've, beautiful too. Yeah. I've decided I've spent my last full winter in the Puget Sound. So I'm uh, I'm headed Tuesday. I'm headed for McAllen. <laughs> I'm going to go to the lower Rio Grande and spend a month there. Nice. So <laughs> I'm pretty excellent. excited. Bruce is coming for the first, yeah, coming down for cool. nine days with me, and Ken Brown is coming with me. So we should have just a terrific you feel start like visiting. to the time. <laughs> yeah, might might happen. Nice. We'll see. Or same to you. I've I've what got an Airbnb with. Uh, I am looking forward to birding the area. You know, I there I've been a couple of times, so there aren't a whole. There's not a huge list of lifeless possibilities, but there certainly is some. Group Bildani is uh, something I haven't seen and ah, want to see, cool. and. Uh, and there, you know, there's there's been a crimson collared grosbeak down there that I uh, I hope it sticks. Oh, and, uh, and you know, the That'd CBCs cool. CBCs have just finished, and uh, who knows what'll stray up there. So we'll see. But yeah. I'm also looking forward to not being rainy and cold. <laughs> yeah. Well, it might be. Yeah, maybe not cold down there. It's pretty yeah, cold it here. It's, <laughs> I, yeah, I bet it, sh- it yeah. should be. It, you know, by the weather reports, it looks like it's been. 70s and 80s in the days and 60s at oh, night. So it seems doesn't get much better than that for weather. That sounds pretty good, yeah. I'm excited about <laughs> that. Nice. Yeah. So I've I've been down a couple of times in the winter and it's really cool down there. I mean it's just a wonderful place. It's, it's almost tropical. It feels very when you're near the water, it yeah. feels very lush went very lush and tropical. It's it's a wonderful place. So yeah. excited about Old that. Birds. Yeah. And then the last uh the last week I'm there, I've got Ten, eight, eight or nine. I, mean, I can't remember the exact. Eight or nine uh, local bird club members are coming down, and uh, I'm going to show them around. So it should be really fun to do that too. Very cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it should be great. Yeah, so any them. What's uh, <laughs> what's in your uh, next few months and years of uh, future? Do you have a, a vision for where you want to head? I'm not trying to sound like a parent um, now. I. <laughs> No, no, that's all right. Um, I'm looking to get into grad school pretty soon here. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, and hopefully studying um, conservation biology um, of some sort. Do you have a Do you have a target field. institution, or you haven't thought that through yet? Um, there are so many, and there are so many programs that I'm potentially interested in. It's kind of, um, yeah. I haven't figured that out yet, but. Well, whoever it is, yeah, would I would be love lucky, to work. Lucky to get you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. I'm excited I'm sure, to start. I'm sure. Yeah. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. And you've had, you know, just, you, you've done the smart thing, not gone racing off to get your education, but getting your real education, you know, getting around, <laughs> getting around, seeing the yeah. world, exploring, having, seeking your adventure. That is really cool stuff. Uh, you mentioned uh, yeah. in, in an email, you mentioned an organization that you worked with, uh, the Millennium Alliance in Ecuador. Tell me about that that uh, organization. What are they doing and, and yeah. what excites you about them? Yeah, the Third Millennium Alliance. Um, oh, I, they I miss them. are okay. really cool. Oh, no, no, no worries. Um, they're a really cool organization that um, Sasha and I just worked for this fall. Um, they have been, it was just like, a, a few people that um, met up and decided that they wanted to conserve land and kind of spend a couple years traveling around South America, figuring out where exactly they wanted to do that um, and settled on a spot in coastal Ecuador. And so they've been buying up land um, and conserving it and getting the local community involved in, um, in making that reserve what it is and it's a really cool program because it's such a small organization and the people are just putting everything everything they have into um into something that they believed in which is also um really cool it's a a really great idea to just go and buy up land and and, it is uh, very cool i bet they're looking for support is is there a maybe you can send me a a link or whatever and i'll make sure i put it in the podcast so if anyone is if anyone's excited about that they can find a way to support that organization it sounds like a pretty good group yeah they certainly are working for really good things good yeah you also brought up the the recent article in science that you know I guess startled a lot of people. Those of us who've been around a long time, it was like, duh, no kidding. There's less birds now than there were 30 years ago. Uh, you know, we, we yeah. see that 
we see that every day. You go to Bowerman Basin in the spring, and we used to see half a million western sandpipers and uh, and shrimpbill dowagers. Now, if you see twenty thousand, that's a really good day. And so, you know, it's, wow, it's just, yeah. I'm no, always curious no how how it seems to people who have been here, been birding for longer, because oh, it seems like you would yeah. see the difference. And and this, I haven't been yeah. here with, like birding with, long enough to see it, yeah. but. With the species where but, there's a lot of, it's it's easier to judge that. I mean, you know, we used to go to yeah, Bowerman Basin certainly. in the spring. And for listeners, Bowerman Basin is one of the major staging areas for shorebirds on the Pacific Flyway. And they stay there for a week or 10 days and fatten up before they fly off to the next stop. And it's super, these stopovers are super important to these species. And uh, so they congregate. And at, low t- at high tide, excuse me, they would just be pushed into these small areas. And you'd see humongous flocks of birds. I mean, just mind-blowing numbers of birds. And and now you go around and some days it's hard to find any. And on a really good day, you see, you know, thousands, but not innumerable birds. You know, you can estimate how many there used to be like, I don't know, maybe a million. I don't know. Just look like a crazy number of birds. Wow. And that was only, that was 30 years ago. That was not ancient history. That's, I mean, I'm old, wow. but, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's you know, and all of the guys Within my age a lifetime, are, older who get yeah. out are, are just boggled at how different it is. You know, you know, if if you don't think it can happen, you know, watch the passenger pigeon movie and you see how, it, you know, yeah, you know, a tipping point happens and populations can just go away. So, yeah, I think the anyway the paper was talking about um, different, you know, have like bird losses in all different habitat types. And I think it said that there was that bird populations had declined by almost 30% since 1970, which is mind boggling and, and certainly visible to people who have been birding since then. Um, And that's, that's in general, that's in general. And in some species, it's way, way more than that. I mean, I think some grassland, yeah, grassland and and wetland species are especially yeah, certainly. Grassland birds have declined by by like fifty three percent since then, which is really scary. And so, that was after yeah. they'd already declined a whole lot. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 yeah not that was after well. the big. I mean, that was after the big, uh, you know, deforestation and degrasslandation. I don't know what you call that. Uh, yeah. Making native native granted agricultural native landed agricultural land. That was after a lot of that had already happened. 30 years ago I mean uh, 50 years ago yeah. whatever the article said I mean, yeah certainly. that that happened that happened turn of the last century you know first part of the 1900s I think and, you know, so it's yeah. not like that yeah a lot of all the projects it was like been, pristine um, before that yeah. So, uh, what was your, what was your take oh, on that oh. article? Did I, I've I've skimmed that article and read the you know newspaper articles about it. You probably actually read it. Uh, what what specific things did you learn from that, Annie? Um. Yeah. I think I just took away the main points, but just the the shocking the shock factor of of um of birds declining massively across all habitat types and how it just represented um like hat like failure of of the ecosystems on a really grand scale and for me that struck me as um like man I'm I care about this a lot more than you know random people who don't like birds at all which is a lot of people in the world and so it struck me as like man I need to do something I need to stop being such a passive listener of you know you know all these articles that go by on on social media every day and I need to actually actually start making life changes or just thinking about things differently and taking more responsibility and um I thought that was so short so shorter so shorter staying home and not not going anywhere or biking and walking everywhere uh uh you know my I'm vegan so my one of my passions is Uh, you know, trying to trying to reduce my footprint by uh, not encouraging the animal husbandry business, which is you know arguably a huge. Very nice, yeah. I don't think it's arguably, but certainly people will argue maybe. Oh, it's just cows; they don't do any harm. But you know, methane is such a potent uh, uh, greenhouse gas, and and 
the clearing of yeah, vast, swaths, vast swaths of the earth to grow sauerkraut and hay to feed our dairy cattle and things like that are just huge, huge environmental issues. Uh, and so I, yeah. I, you know, that that's part of my high horse, uh, that along with yeah. outdoor cats, well, which outdoor cats, which my son calls <laughs> me a sadist, sadist for thinking that uh, we have such a problem that we need to deal with outdoor cats. But anyway, oh, what, that's what a contentious things, one, uh, yep. <laughs> Yeah, from your environmental, uh, you know, experience and education, what what sort of things can the everyday person do uh, to to have impact in a positive way? Yeah, I think um, the things you mentioned definitely eating responsible meat, so meat that doesn't come from Argentina, um, you know, not the really cheap stuff. If you are going to meet eat meat, because a lot of people can't give up meat entirely, um, but you can still eat meat responsibly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They're not willing to, um, which is fair enough. Yes. Like there's some lifestyle changes that I would sure. make too. Sure. Um, so yeah, just eating meat responsibly is a great step to make. Um, something that most people can do because almost everyone drinks coffee um, is buying shade grown coffee. I've seen, I've worked in shade grown uh, coffee fields and I've seen the bird life that lives there. I've seen, um, you know, amazing tanagers and all sorts of hummingbirds and um, vireos and all sorts of migrant birds um, that live in the winter in shade grown coffee fields and if that shade if the trees over the coffee were wasn't there um, they wouldn't have that habitat to live in so I think that's a sure. great option that almost everyone can do it's only a few bucks more if if it is more expensive um, and I definitely only purchase shade grown coffee. I think that's a really easy life life uh, mission or like easy switch to do for people. Annie, what do you um, look for when you when you buy shade grown coffee? What do you look for as a certification? I've I've heard you know kind of horror stories that you know you plant one tree on fifty acres and call it shade grown coffee. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it, how, totally. Who and that, that, that. How do you how do you how do you really know? Um, it is kind of wishy-washy and in a lot of places, you, in a lot of cases, you can't, um, tell how shade grown they are. Um, there's the Rainforest Alliance certification, which, um, that doesn't necessarily, it's not as standardized as you would like it to be. Um, and a lot of, a lot of companies that kind of are shade grown, they grow shade, shade grown coffee, don't even label it as shade grown. Um, so if it doesn't say shade grown or bird friendly in some way, um, you can at least look for organic coffee because a lot of times in order to be organic, um, they have to, the farmers have to have trees in the area for, um, because birds are such big, um, predators of insects that might eat the coffee beans. Sure. And so, um, so organic is actually, an option too, if you can't find anything that, As a label, and I think it's hard to ha- hard to have an organic hard to have an organic crop that you grow in a monoculture. So yeah, right, exactly, yeah. So, so those are good points. Um, so so shake grown coffee, idea, yeah. uh, eat either don't eat meat or eat meat responsibly. What other mm-hmm. things come to mind? Um, you mentioned the cat, um, the cat issue. <laughs> That's a big one. Keeping your cats indoors. <laughs> um, for people who don't want to do that, which is a lot of people who have outdoor cats. You can put cat bibs on, um, which I've been told do work. There's certain brands that work. I, I, um, I saw I saw I a, I... A, a woman somewhere. I saw this, you know, these brightly colored collar sort of things that cats yeah, wear. exactly. The re- reduce reduce their uh, you know effectiveness at safe, killing I birds by eighty. Yeah. That is, I've actually contacted that woman to see if she would like to be on the show, but so far hasn't worked out. <laughs> I think it'd be a fun conversation. Oh, that'd be great though. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, So, um, keep it, you know, the cats, um, away from birds and then planting natives. If you have a garden or if you have anyone who is willing to let you garden in their garden, um, which is my case, the case for me, um, planting native plants, because that's awesome for birds, um, migrants and breeders alike. And, you know, um, it doesn't, it doesn't, take too much to make a corridor through an urban space. So 
think planting natives is something it doesn't it also do. cuts down on the need for fertilizer and all the other yeah, you know, pesticides yeah. and all the other stuff native plants have uh, are there because they can survive those things yeah um so that another one that that people can do is buying organic food because um the widespread use of pesticides is obviously really bad for nature of all sorts but um but birds too so uh, sure. just avoiding pesticides and buying organic whenever you can is another I, one. Any th- this is this is maybe blindsiding you, but have you heard the, about the no-till farming movement? I have not. Okay, well, I, I I'll talk briefly about it. I thought I thought you yeah, might have. Do. You know, most most farming, most uh, uh, especially uh, commercial farming in this country is done by you plow the fields, you harrow the fields, you plant your crops, you do it all over again year after year. Uh, there's a, a big movement towards what's called no-till farming, where instead of you leave the crust of the earth intact and you plant, you know, plant the plant the plants that grow within that environment and that whole crust of the earth is a huge you know i i don't know all of the fungi and all the other stuff that grow in there that support you know growing plants mm-hmm. uh, but i think there's some some pioneers are learning that you can have nearly as productive a land uh using uh, no-till farming methods which are could be just vastly helpful you know, land erosion, pesticide use. Uh, and I think it especially works if you don't do vast swaths of monoculture, if you yeah. mix your crops to some degree. Uh, but I've heard that, that that's, uh, I think that might be getting traction in some areas. So that I think is cool. you know, supporting really that cool. uh, movement might be helpful too. Anyway, any, those yeah. are some pretty good ideas. Uh, what Do you have any other causes or things you want to give a shout out to? Um. Let's see. Yeah, I think the things that inspire me the most for in terms of causes are um, either either organizations that educate people, um, because the more people that care about birds, the more people are going to be interested in saving them. Um, so education, organizations that educate are really great. And then I really like organizations that set aside land because that's, you know, that's great for um, carbon storage and that's great for wildlife wherever that land is whether that's in South America or whether it's a, um, a land trust in your you know just behind your backyard, backyard. or yeah sure um, yeah land trusts and other uh, we've only got so much relatively undisturbed land uh, but especially I've learned my uh, my daughter and her partner are really avid uh, agroforestry proponents uh, and uh, in especially maybe not quite as much in the in the temperate zones but in the tropics it takes very little time to regenerate land I mean things yeah. gross if you just stop if you stop plowing them and you know poisoning them and if you just leave it be it's just shocking how fast it goes back to a jungle or a yeah, tropical some rainforest of, some of our sites in in coastal Ecuador, um, when I was working for the Third Millennium Alliance, um, they had just been bought, I think, like 20 years previous, and or maybe even less. Mm-hmm. And they had been uh, cacao and banana plantations. And we, you right. know, one of our our uh, sites that we caught the most birds in was, you know, was one of those uh, cacao plantations. And it looked like a forest. You could only right. tell it was cacao because you saw the occasional cacao tree with a pod on it. And right. that was so cool to see, like how fast nature could take back over um, what can. used to be. And and the the crazy thing is that you can you can have an incredibly productive agricultural forest, and still have a, a, a diverse culture. I mean, you don't have to grow only bananas for a hundred thousand acres. Yeah, you can grow a lot yeah, of bananas. Definitely. You can grow a lot of cacao. You can grow a lot of fifty other different kinds of fruit. Uh, and have vastly productive land uh, from a food-producing standpoint and still have a wonderfully diverse uh, habitat for wild, wildlife and people yeah. and all sorts of things. So yeah, the, totally. the, the agroforestry movement is, is pretty cool, too. Very cool. So I'm, I'm excited that that 
has a chance of catching on. And it's also a way that people can secure their own food source. I mean, if you have, have access to a, a tiny bit of land, it's amazing how much food can be produced on that in a way that maintains a, maintains a, uh, a diverse forest. Yeah. So yeah, that's all, that is there's a big movement towards that uh, in the tropics too. That's exciting. So Annie, are there any other things that I should be asking you? I'm, for, I'm, I'm not uh, thinking uh, of, uh, of good topics for you. Do you have any uh, stories of your travels that you could share with us? Um, let's see. I have a lot of stories of um, in traveling in, in South America and just getting into some weird situations because um, Sasha and I like to travel. We call it budget birding. Um, where okay. we basically travel, um, trying to spend the least amount of money possible, but, um, we try and go places all with public transport in South America, which is really easy mm-hmm. because buses run everywhere down it there. Is. Um, and then find and find a uh, really cheap local lodging. Um, so we try and like stay where the locals stay. And sometimes we found places like really nice hotel rooms for like $10 a night in Peru or, um, in Ecuador too. And, um, and then we like to, to bird without guides, um, which we definitely see fewer birds, but it's, it's fun to, to find our own birds. So we end up in some situations that aren't planned. Um, like we've, uh, in Peru, we, we kind of found ourselves in this tiny, tiny backwater Amazon town. Um, and, we met this guy um, and he offered to let us stay in his backyard. And um, we just kind of were spontaneous and agreed to it. And so we, we, uh, we go with him through the town and he takes us to a boat and we're kind of like, Oh, I don't know if we should get in the boat with our packs. Um, <laughs> but we decide, well, you know what? Like yeah. you only live once. Let's do this. And we get in the boat and it's live a, on the a, edge. Yeah, it's this this canoe that's been like, you know, carved with like rough tools and we get in and um and this isn't a, a town that's flooded, so it's Varzea forest. Um it's it's okay. a type of Amazonian forest that that floods seasonally and so this town is completely surrounded by water. It's like an, a very small island and <laughs> um it's about 3 hours down down the Amazon from Iquitos, if you know where that is in Peru. And we get in this, this canoe and it sinks down to about an inch above the water and we're just shaking our heads and going, what have we gotten ourselves into? And, um, this man, Orlando paddles us down the river and, or it's, it's more just of still water, it's, um, like backwater, but, um, the water's black. You can right. stick your hand in it and can't see your hand. You know, it's really dark water and, we're just like, oh man, what kind of animals live in the water? I hope we don't tip. And we eventually, um, he paddles us into this water for probably 20 or 30 minutes. And we eventually turn a corner in this like water trail and um, we come up to his house and it's this um, very, very um, like impoverished um, stilt house that um he proudly points mm-hmm. to and says, this is my house and like you're welcome here as long as you want and so we get in um and it's it's in about six feet of water in this black water and and we we get into his house and we set up our tent inside um because there are holes in the roof and he right. welcomes us in and, and tells us that he's a guide and that um and he doesn't speak any any english either so we we're all just piecing it together right um, and he tells us that he can take us to see Hawatsons. And so we were like, all right, we did the right thing. He'll take us to see the Hawatsons. And, and meanwhile, from his house, we see um, um, fruit crows and Amazonian umbrella bird and um, greater Ani and plum third Cotinga. So we're just in heaven. We're just, all right, all right, whatever happens, sure. this is great. This is and, good stuff, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, and it was really cool to just be welcomed in by someone um, who had so little and he was just, you know, he wanted to give us everything. He wanted to feed us and he wouldn't take money and um, or yeah, not for that. And um, called us family and um, and he took us out to 
to see the Watsons the next morning and um, in his canoe. And that was, that was a really fun story. So. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I am not familiar with that bird. Tell me about Watsons. What, what is that bird? They're a really epic uh, Amazonian species. So they're, uh, they eat leaves, which is kind of unique. They have some internal, internal organs that are adapted to just eat leaves, but you basically find them in, um, in like backwater lakes, I think, and sometimes on the, the edge of the Amazon river. Um, but they're a giant cuckoo. Um, and you have to look them up. They're incredible. They're really big too. Um, yeah. Very cool. Very cool bird. Very cool. Well, I learned the learned a new bird today. That's very cool. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm going to Peru in April. I'm cool. pretty excited about that. Wow, where uh, is I, I don't think Peru? I'll really be in the Amazon. I'm I'm a Rotarian in a, in the South of Rotary Club. Nice. And Rotar- Rotarians are eligible to go on something called the Rotary Friendship Exchange. It's a really cool program where you. Uh, you you and a group of other people from your district or area go and stay in three or four different towns with a Rotary Club who hosts you, and they put you up and they show you around and you check things out and it, it's you're know, really getting to know local people and the, their their your know, lifestyle and what's happening. So it's a really great opportunity. Uh, awesome. But I'm going to go that a week early really and cool. do some birding around Lima. I and, bet you'll uh, have fun. And and I'm going to be, I am I'm going to be in Arequipas, which is near near a big, the, I think the Arequipa Canyon. So I should get to see uh, the Andean condor. Nice. So it should be really some cool stuff. There's some great birding around Arequipa. I'm excited about that. Very cool. Yeah, it sh- should, be, should be really fun. So I'm excited about that too. Uh, that is a good story, Annie. Do you have another one? Um, Let's see. We've done a lot of, um, when you travel by public transport, it a lot of times means that that you have to, do a lot more hiking um, than than you would mm-hmm. if you had a car with you. So we've done a lot of like um, or just walking. Yeah, yeah, we've done a lot of like fifteen to twenty mile walks um, across landscapes um, uh-huh. because we didn't want to arrange for a pickup because you know birding takes a variable amount of time. So we're always I don't know when we'll be done. Oh, sure. So we just want to walk somewhere. So in Colombia we. We got these two, we somehow um, talked to these people and got them to take us each on a motorcycle and two motorcycles um, up mm-hmm. to the top of this mountain called uh, right. Santa Marta in Colombia. And that's a really cool mountain, if you haven't heard of it, in uh, northern Colombia on the Caribbean slope that um, I think it has 19 endemic species on that mountain. It's really excellent birding. Oh um, it's a world destination for sure. But there's a particular road that you can bird. Um, and so we got driven up starting at four in the morning. We, we went on this wild, uh, wild motorcycle ride that included Sasha getting thrown off a couple times um, to the top of this mountain. Oh, my goodness. And a uh, really bumpy road. <laughs> and all the while we're wondering, man, they said we could hike down this. Uh, I guess I guess it won't be too far. But we get to the top and start birding. And of course, it takes us, you know, way longer than expected. So we we get back in the tark. But it was around like 18 miles, I think. And we saw like 15 of the endemic species um, from Santa Marta. So that was really awesome. That's spectacular. Yeah, I highly recommend birding there. to do that on your own? Yeah. On your own without a guide to find 15 out of 18? That sounds like... uh, really good stuff. it was a good day really good stuff. congratulations Thanks. it sounds like a great day yeah if if, uh, if sasha didn't get beaten up too no, bad no no he was all right it was worth it <laughs> good yep. very cool very cool uh, so you're in texas now mm-hmm. uh, how long is this job gonna last do you know this lasts until march and um i think oh. Perfect. Yeah, we're great time we're, to be in Texas. Exactly. In we're hoping to stick around. Maybe you can around. go to the coast. <laughs> yeah, we're hoping to stick around a little bit for spring migration and then um, find a summer gig. Maybe we might be headed back to to Missoula, Montana this summer, but we'll see. It's always up in the air. Oh, we follow the you, birds. <laughs> you should you should hook up with Charlie and see if he can get you on one of his Alaskan gigs. He he does some crazy stuff up there. Really yeah, cool stuff. <laughs> Someday get you to a place you haven't been before. Anyway, Annie, those are great stories. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for sharing. Uh, 
if, if, if a listener wanted to reach out to you, how could they get a hold of you or would you rather they didn't? No, no, uh, by all means. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Um, yeah, that's probably the best way to reach. Okay, me. so just direct message you. Yeah, sure. I will. Uh, I think I have your Facebook Facebook uh, contact. I, I'm not that uh, not that active on Instagram. I try, but it's a little outside my skill set. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, so I will make sure that I, I put your uh, Facebook contact in the in the uh, podcast notes. Sounds uh, good. Thanks again for coming thanks on. So much I really for appreciate. Me. It's been fun to talk with yeah, you. Yeah, likewise. And hear your story since I really only knew the very I only knew the very beginning. The very first, so it was yeah. cool to catch up. <laughs> I. I yeah, I I hear a little bit about your adventures with Bruce. I go out with him all the time. So Aww. he tells me, oh, yeah, whatever, this or that. He tells me stories. But anyway, uh, the, oh, before I forget, uh, have you met Will Brooks? Will is a, a student at UPS. Uh, just over anyway, email correspondence, he is this yeah. Real, he is a really, really good bird. That's birder. awesome. Well, he was out at the, uh, at the Demolay Spit today. Uh, do you know what I mean by the Fox Island Bridge? Okay, yeah. And the little sand spit just beside yeah. that. I, think they call it, I don't know if it's Demoli or Demolay spit. Uh, anyway, he was out there and he thinks possibly, although the debate is on, he may have seen a, I don't even know how to say the word, st- Stein, you know, you know, white winged scoter got split in a velvet scoter, white winged scoter oh, wow. and Stein Jenner's scoter. Or, uh, he thinks he might've had a Stein wow. Jenner scoter there just before dark tonight. Oh, that's crazy. There were some photos uh, and it's probably a, it's probably a very weirdly shaped bill on a white winged scoter. Hmm. The forehead's probably not quite right or whatever, but still to even think of that. And I've seen the pictures. It's pretty darn cool. Wow. So if it's not snowing too hard in the that's morning, suppose it's going to snow. <laughs> Oh wow! It's not, if it's not snowing too hard tomorrow, that's where the, the masses of Pierce County yeah, birds will well, be trying to luck. get a better picture and a look at this weird build scoter out at the Demolay Spit. Anyway, Annie, thanks so much for being thanks on. So for I appreciate me. it. And uh, so nice to talk to you Wait. and say hello to your dad when you get I a will. chance. I haven't seen him in years, but he was uh, he was the photographer that uh, for my office for many oh, years. Really? So every few years when I needed a new picture, needed a new picture on the website or whatever, he would be out and take <laughs> my picture. So that was cool. And uh, so I haven't I haven't seen him in a long time. But I'll anyway, say that. hello to your dad. And thanks for being on. And I appreciate it so much. Thanks again. All right, Ed. Take care. Yep. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up the Bird Banner podcast episode number 45 with Annie Meyer. I don't think it was hyperbole to say that I had fun talking to Annie today. I hope you had half as much fun listening as I did talking with her. She is a remarkable young woman who's done cool things in birding so far. Sounds like she has a great career ahead of her. I think she's going to do really good things. I hope she was inspirational uh, on some things you can do yourself to help the environment and help the birds. And I hope that you all have a great week of birding. And until I talk to you next time, good birding. Good day.